Well, when things started to open up, people wanted to get out of the house. They wanted to go to work. They wanted to get out and do their thing, not go to work, obviously. Right now, I've kept the business closed. I tried to open because just the story, because this is all about employment and who wants to work. I did hire three people to work my front counter for me. These are probably three of the worst people I could have thought of to run my front counter. And I literally opened for two hours and then locked the doors and said, thanks for nothing. And I sent them home. As recent as June of this year, we had over a 500 driver shortage just in the state of Massachusetts. As you may or may not know, we have been actively involved with the deployment of the Mass Army National Guard to ensure that students are getting to and from school on a daily basis. This is the Language of Business, a podcast to inform and inspire entrepreneurs, anyone thinking about a startup or anyone looking to make a business pivot. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Westrom School of Business. A local restaurant owner was a champion on the Food Network Cutthroat Kitchen, but now he can't find anyone to work at his restaurant, so he gave up looking. And a local school bus company can't find enough drivers, so they had to turn to the National Guard for help. In this episode, we look at the frustration of trying to hire people, and no one's applying. Here's Greg Stoller. Thank you, Don. During one of our busier days, we all will joke that we're chief cook and bottle washer. But what happens when that's actually the case because you don't have enough staff to run your restaurant? We're on location virtually with Mike Fucci, who is the owner of Chef Mike's in Needham, Massachusetts. And welcome to the Language of Business. Hey, thanks for having me. You have been, unfortunately, a victim of staffing shortages in your restaurant. When did it first start to impact you? I would say probably halfway through the pandemic, we started losing people. And then they found out that unemployment's easier to get than it was to actually keep a job. And we didn't lay anybody off. I didn't fire anybody, nothing. I kept paying them. But at the end of the day, when the government's offering you 600 more than your regular pay, then why wouldn't you do it? How long had you been in business before the pandemic tended to clean out your place? This location I opened up four months prior to the pandemic, August 4th, 2019. Did you have any indication that you saw the mass exodus of employees coming? No, I figured that if they stuck around as long as they did, they'd still be here. But then when you're getting thrown money, you, you jump, right? Of course, of course. And obviously this wasn't your first venture. No, no, not at all. And I've been fortunate in the fact that I actually work hard for a living, so it doesn't matter to me. They can stay home. I'll figure it out on my own. So what did you do? Were you literally chief cook and bottle washer all at the same time? Oh yeah, I was running like crazy. I, I ran like crazy. I still run like crazy. 300 plus pounds here, six foot two, and I'm still running like I'm 18. So I don't care. You know what I mean? I know in driving by your location, you had to close down for a couple of weeks. What was that like? Well, we kept it closed. It's been closed for a couple of weeks, which was not a big deal because I do a lot of catering. Weddings, well, when things started to open up, people wanted to get out of the house. They wanted to go to work. They wanted to get out and do their thing, not go to work, obviously. I had that business already in place, which was a thank God. So right now I've kept the business closed. I tried to open because just the story, because this is all about employment and who wants to work. Sure. I did hire three people to work my front counter for me. These are probably three of the worst people I could have thought of to run my front counter. And I literally opened for two hours and then locked the doors and said, thanks for nothing. And I sent them home. So I locked the doors again. And that was it. It was a Saturday. I said, see you later. This was two weeks ago. I said, see you later. Now I'm sticking just to catering and using this as my commissary. That's it. And why were they three of the worst people that you hired? I gave two weeks to train them. As you said, I was closed for two weeks. I had two weeks of full training them. And the day we opened on that Saturday, 
took 45 minutes to take one order. And the two other two stood around staring at the ceiling like there was nothing going on. One of them is a front-end manager with 30 years. <laughs> Figured out one out. Welcome to the pandemic. Has your landlord been at all sympathetic? I got to tell you the truth. Uh, yeah and no at the same time. I mean, it cost me $30,000 in legal fees just to get him to back off. And uh, he realized that I'm not stopping. Listen, if I had left under my landlord's brain, the tiny mind that he has, okay, if he had gotten his way, this place would still be vacant because nobody would want it. Sure. So for a year and a half, two years, he would have had nothing here. How do you benefit from that? So how do you think the next, shall we say, two to four months are going to play out? Your catering business is doing well. You're using your need of location as a commissary. Is this going to be the new normal or are you hoping to open up retail operations again? I'm believing this is going to be the way I'm going to do it for the rest of my time. I'm not willing to leave here. I'm not willing to do it that way again. I can't depend on other people to run my business. I can sub out a lot of work. I need wait staff. I'll pull them from somewhere else. If I need help with a, with a job, I'll pull them from somewhere else. But there will never be a hiring in this building ever again. It'll be me, myself, and I. That's it. So you don't think that post-pandemic or post-endemic, if that even is possible, that things are going to revert to normal? Can I be frank and honest with you? I hope people come looking for jobs so I can just tell them no. Yeah. These people have left this country hanging and left people hanging. Truckers, restaurant workers, you name the industry, it's short. Because people chose the easy route in life instead of working for a living. They can blame COVID all they want. They can sit back and say, well, I didn't want to leave my house because of COVID. Really? Then what the hell were you doing at that concert? It's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I don't care. So that's it. I'll say no to everybody that walks up to my door. Are you happy doing catering? Love catering. It's my favorite thing in the world to do. I've been catering now for close to 33 years. Started with my family when I was young, and it has been fantastic. Catering has afforded me a lifestyle that I could never, ever have had slinging food behind a counter over here it's enriching it's it's very it's it's all about being a part of something do you know what i mean sure part of that day and i'm grateful that i'm getting calls from people that i married 28 years ago i'm now marrying their kids it's wonderful it's fantastic that's wonderful to be a part of a family like that is great let me give you a hypothetical we could guarantee you five perfect employees they would never miss a day of work you train them, they would act like computers in the sense that they were perfectly able to execute whatever you wanted them to do. Would that scratch the proverbial itch about you opening up the restaurant again? Well, first of all, I got to ask you if you walk on water. <laughs> Secondly, I would have to say no. At this point, I would have to say no. I've got a very bad taste in my mouth. And I know a lot of other owners and restaurateurs, they got bad taste in their mouths, but these people don't understand what we did. They screwed us so badly by staying home that we readjusted our businesses and our models to fit our way of living. No more do we depend on people. We depend on ourselves. I have a friend who's got a couple of restaurants in the North End. He and his family, and that's all he can depend on. And those are the only people working in his restaurants. He jumps back and forth between two and he checks it out every night. He cooks. This place has a rush. He's there. The other one has a rush. He's there. He's killing himself, but... When you screw people, you can't depend on them. And we're never going to depend on people again. Mike, thank you very much. Thank you. Mike Fucci, owner of Chef Mike's in Needham, Massachusetts. Back to you, Don. Thanks, Craig. Next up, the school bus company that found themselves short of the needed number of drivers by 500. So they turned to the National Guard for help when the language of business continues. I didn't even realize what it meant to be in a top tier business school until my first day. And I 
just really, for the first time, felt like I was in a place where everybody knew what was going on and everyone was incredibly driven to study this and perfect this field. And so I think being in a top business school really means that you are finding the barriers and the edges of the field and pushing them a little farther. And that's what Questrom has taught me over the past four years. Questrom's really helpful because you get to not only study the basics of business, such as accounting or marketing, but you really get to dive further in and to see applications of the health sector and how business applies to sustainability efforts around the world. They really want us to kind of focus it on four emerging areas, and those areas were healthcare, security, sustainability, and technology. Those are really where the jobs are going to be. They really want us to come out from the Question School of Business and be able to work in any area of the industry. Interested? Go to bu.edu slash questrom. You're listening to the Language of Business. You heard about the award-winning restaurant owner who gave up trying to find employees and closed his restaurant. Now we'll hear from the school bus company that was short of the needed number of drivers by 500, so they turned to the National Guard for help. Back to Greg Stoller for the story. Thank you, Don. How do you keep the so-called trains running on time when there's no one to drive them? We're on location with Tim Sheehan, Senior Vice President of Operations for Vanpool and North Reading Transportation, or as they say, NRT, and welcome to the Language of Business. Thank you, Gregory. I appreciate you having me. So Vanpool and NRT are part of a larger company called Beacon Mobility. What does the entire suite of services look like? Today, we have operations in Big Bus, or what you would see is called Yellow Bus for students to and from school. We offer services in the special education transportation for students to and from schools or programs. And we have paratransit transportation as of today. And you're Senior Vice President of Operations for two of those subsidiaries. It sounds like Vanpool, which deals with children with special needs and North Reading Transportation. That's correct. We do have paratransit in Massachusetts, and currently I run the Northeast for our organization, which encompasses all three components. And we happen to be the largest student transportation organization in Massachusetts. So herein lies the challenge. Special needs kids have a lot of, obviously, difficulties probably one being they can't drive themselves to school and school needs to start on time. What do you do if a kid can't get to school on time because there's no one to drive the bus? That's a great question. I would say the first thing on our list as operators is communication. What we find is, is when we're actively communicating with both the parents and the school districts, that the subsequent activities become very easy. So the ownership lies on us in terms of transportation requirements and communication. As you know, the challenges are significant right now with the COVID-19 impact. However, communication still is paramount for us, all of us across the system. And what is your goal? Is it 100% every day of the week or in general, are you shooting for, say, the high 90s? Well, outside the norm right now, which we are very outside the norm, I would say it's 100% compliant on a daily basis. And what I would say is, is that our internal motto is whatever it takes and every student every day. That's very admirable, and thank you again for what you're doing for the children. Is Vanpool NRT immune or subject to the same challenges that the rest of the world seems to be these days when it comes to staffing? We are. As recent as June of this year, we had over a 500 driver shortage just in the state of Massachusetts, which has negatively impacted our ability to provide the service level that we would like to do or our clients would be accustomed to. And it's impacted us significantly. As recent as June of this year, we had over a 500 driver shortage just in the state of Massachusetts. As you may or may not know, we have been actively working with the state and governor's office 
years and have been actively involved with the deployment of the Mass Army National Guard to ensure that students are getting to and from school on a daily basis. If you're 500 drivers short and every kid needs to get to school on time and whatever it takes, and again, thank you for what you're trying to do, how do you make up for a 500 person shortfall Monday through Friday at say seven in the morning? Just to be clear, the, the 500 driver shortage was back in early June, late May. We are much closer to our target in terms of staffing gap. We currently have a gap of roughly 170 of which Mass Army National Guard is occupying roughly 130 of those roles today within our organization. There is a lot of strategies that are deployed to fill the gap. We work very closely with our district partners around solutions to include alternative ways to and from school for our students. Big bus scenarios, we're looking at capacity per bus, walk zones, school bell times, and other solutions that may alleviate the pressure on the students and the families and the districts. If you have that many hiring recs open, are prospective applicants asking you for the world in terms of special incentives? Well, you know, we were proactively leading the way, I would say, in the industry, especially here in the Northeast, with providing incentives for people to come over. Sign-on bonuses, retention bonuses, or incentives for our people to pull in colleagues that they know that may be interested in a role within our organization. Yes, I would say there's a lot of incentives out there for people to join our team right now, and we have a lot of open positions. So I would suggest if anybody hears this, want a job, come and contact us. So it sounds like it's getting a little bit better. You said you went from a high of 500 drivers being short to just south of 200. What do you see the next three to six months as bringing? So our trajectory puts us on a net neutral balance, if you will, of about six weeks out from right now. We are actively recruiting. We have a business partner in our talent acquisition group that has been extremely helpful in trying to close the gap as quickly as possible. I think his efforts and his team's efforts, coupled with the fact that we are providing incentives that are new to our industry, accelerating our ability to close the gap in real time. We do see the partnership with the governor and the Mass Army National Guard as being a stopgap, but we are also supporting districts and towns outside of our normal business. So where we are partnering with the governor and the governor's team for support in our own organization, they have in turn asked us to support communities that we don't currently serve so that we can assist in helping them get their students to school as well. But I do see it as a stopgap and I do see that a resolution is in the near future. Let's assume that it's not a stopgap, but the COVID stopped, we all hope, tomorrow. Would any of the changes that you've implemented over the past few months actually become permanent for Van Pooler NRT? That's a great question, Gregory. I appreciate you asking that. And I would say, yes, the answer to that is yes. What we don't know is what we're trying to solve for, right? I mean, the impact of COVID-19 and the Delta variant, you know, we'd like to think that we see an end in sight, but we're moving into flu season and who knows what's going to happen. We're all dealing with the unknown, as you know. We evaluate our compensation. We evaluate these special incentives, if you will, on a daily, weekly basis with our teams internally. And quite honestly, if they're not solving the problem, we will evaluate and adjust as needed. You're a senior vice president of operations. You probably manage a number of people on your team. Have any of you actually had to drive some of the buses in the morning? Yes, we have. Wow. Thank you for your dedication. I would argue that the children are our mission number one. So if there is a child that's going to be sitting, we will put a vice president or below in a vehicle to make sure that that child gets to and from their education. In the case where we do have children sitting at home, we will put a vice president in a vehicle and ensure that that child gets to and from school. Tim, with all of the stuff you have on your plate, what keeps you up at night the most about the next three to six months? One is the fear of the unknown. What will be the impact of Delta variant moving forward as an organization and the impact on my workforce? 
Number two, the fact that I know we can do a better job for our students and for our districts in which we serve. Those two things keep me up at night, quite honestly, right through the weekend. Tim, thank you very much. Gregory, I appreciate you having me. Tim Sheehan, Senior Vice President of Operations for Van Pool and North Reading Transportation. Don, back to you. Thanks, Greg. Support for the language of business is from Boston University Questrom School of Business. We now have downloads in 40 states plus DC, and international downloads are now up to 77, plus several more marked as unknown countries. We appreciate the support. If you enjoy the language of business, please subscribe and tell a friend. The language of business is available wherever you get podcasts, or just ask Alexa. Our social media is by Jennifer Powell of the Excellent Writers Group. Music by Randy Barth of Oswee Media Group. Consulting producer, Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Direction, audio editing, and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of somethingyoushouldknow.net. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, thanks for listening to The Language of Business.